Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Mellow Compass podcast. We are the podcast that aims to educate our listeners on the variety of opportunities available in the music industry by really getting beneath what job titles actually mean. I have been so looking forward to this episode for a while now. Today's guest is Sarah Wilson. As well as being a mother, Sarah is a senior leader in the music industry heading up Canada, UK and Ireland, Australia and New Zealand at one of the world's leading DIY distributors, TuneCore. She has also held leadership positions at Beggars, The Orchard and Universal. I really hope you enjoy this. Sarah, it is so awesome to have you on the podcast. I cannot wait to share your journey. <laughs> it's brilliant. I love what you do. And um, yeah, it's really good to be talking to you. And you as well. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into your career. So you have had the most incredible career to date, traveling the world with artists like Adele from the very beginning, what would you say have been some of your career highlights to date? Gosh, um, I mean, Adele definitely was a career highlight. One of the things that very few people know, uh, it's a bit of a nerdy fact, is the fact that she actually broke in Holland before she broke anywhere else. And that was because I was looking after all of the territories outside the UK and the US. That was one of my territories. So thank you, Holland and 3FM in particular, because that was really the beginning of her kind of mass explosion. So, you know, having a really active part in that, I think was, you know, I mean, it was a crazy ride absolutely crazy ride and obviously we're talking these were times kind of pre-streaming and all of that so it was um you know it's very much kind of the the previous industry model rather than this model so you know things like that but then equally also working with smaller bands where you can see that progression you know you do something and you you actually almost see the difference that it makes to the audience that are there in front of you you know and things like traveling with artists like I remember traveling with Jack Pinate to Japan the first time seeing their eyes open to other territories and other ways of being other societies you know other foods all of that kind of stuff amazing and what else are the highlights 
just I think just having such a breadth of experience and having having been kind of resilient enough to go through you know a lot of highs and lows and actually end up at this point now where I feel you know I'm 41 I've got a senior position within the music slash tech industry and I feel pretty stable and it's probably the first time I've been able to say that for you know for my whole career because you're always kind of in growth phase in those first you know decade couple of decades and now I kind of feel like right I've I've got to a point where you know 19 year old me would have gone okay yeah that's cool yeah yeah well done (laughs) I love that yeah yeah well done pat on the back (laughs) (laughs) you got there have you always had a clear career direction given like the the number of different roles that you've now had um I know that you started out in press working at Time Out and The Face but then decided to go label sides yeah so I mean it's certainly when I was when I was at school I had that classic kind of you know you go along you do your GCSEs and then you you know you hone down and you funnel into what you do at your A-levels and then suddenly you know six months or whenever it is before you take them you go shit what am I going to do next and I was like you know I was clearly a humanities student and I was just like right do I do like American studies or media studies or this or that so I was like right okay I can write I like writing let's do journalism and was very lucky enough to get um, a place at City University and they had the most amazing industry connections so that really kind of started to to bed me in if you like and through that I was able to get the experience and you know paid positions at face and face mark one before it you know went away and now relaunched and then time out which was you know amazing and then I kind of went around that cycle for a bit and I was like actually do you know what I'd really like to move into the industry and you know became a press officer because you that used a lot of words and I was good at using words so that made complete sense to me and then from there you know it's almost like suddenly you're on the you're on the carousel and it started to open my eyes to all of these other positions within the industry. And it was just, it was so interesting once you're in there to see other things that were available to you. Because, you know, no one sits you down, no careers advisor sits you down and goes, right, this is the structure of a record label. Which which part of the record label would you like to be a part of? You mentioned music, you mentioned a record label. And, you know, you may as well be talking in Mandarin because they just hopefully different now. But certainly then, you know, we're talking about around about 2000 there just there wasn't a dialogue about wanting to work in the music industry so did you know what roles were available to you or was it through making connections and learning and kind of trial and error yourself I would say I kind of I knew I knew about kind of press officers communications roles because that's something that I had had a connection with through being a journalist but kind of past that You know, I knew that there were people that signed artists, but I didn't really know what they did past that. You know, that there's a finance department, you know, there's all of this. There's no kind of handbook for it. So you do kind of go in slightly blind. And I always think that about people's first roles within labels is you're kind of exploring not only your own role, but also everyone else's role, because the chances are you haven't had any exposure to most of those positions and you don't really know what people are doing. Yeah, I think that's such an important point to make because... At the beginning of our careers, if you have one specific place that you want to go to, like, say, working for a major label because you know the name of it, then it's very easy to become pigeonholed 
into just trying to get an internship at one of those major labels and those major labels are highly highly competitive and it doesn't mean that you're not good enough if you don't get one of those internships it just means that you were one of thousands who was going for those roles exactly and you know and you you think about those you know things like the the intern schemes you know they're they're a fantastic step up for a lot of people but I think you if you get one fabulous super lucky but you've also almost you know you've got to think in and around the industry as well like what are the kind of what are the complementary areas where you could start off and then move in where you could get some transferable skills um you know obviously now music and tech are so very closely um connected you know are there things where you could go to a tech company and pick up certain um certain experiences that could then make you more likely to be able to move into the kind of into the music industry proper um and be able to take those with you because actually that will make you really desirable completely having those transferable skills and knowing how to pitch yourself when it comes to going from one area to another like you can start out working in like the broader entertainment industry and then find your niche when it comes to music and then in music go down and find your niche even more but it's only through this like process of discovery and actually doing the jobs that you'll be able to find that that place for yourself and it's you know I think it's quite hard because you're also on a journey of self-discovery as well especially if you're kind of starting out in the industry when you're in your early 20s you know you're still kind of working out actually what the things are that turn you on and the the directions you want to go in and don't want to go in so you know don't be don't be scared to make some mistakes as well you know you're not locked in after your first job like if you try it out and you go oh god you know what that was awful I really didn't like that I, I need to completely change my thinking do it you've got a long you've got a long work life to go you don't want to be kind of stuck in an area that you don't like you know and that's one of the things that I learned from from my father you know he used to work in his 20s he used to work in um in insurance and he was he was there for a few years and he he rose quite high in the city and then one day he said he just looked around he was like I I don't know in his mid to late 20s I don't want to do this I hate this I don't want to be coming in here for 40 years and hating every single second of it and he gave it up and uh started his own business um refurbishing vintage cars and he still does it to this day my god good for him pursue that passion and he's always been a massive inspiration in terms of like you know do the thing that makes you want to get up incredible speaking of passion so you've obviously you've held several international roles was that something that you knew you wanted out of the different roles that you've held like through working in international you obviously work with lots of different cultures and you've also worked for several international companies so was that one aspect that you were always looking for in your career opportunities yeah, I think so. I mean, the interesting thing is when I moved from from doing press, I felt like I was starting to go around the same cycle again when I was working as a as a PR. And then when this international job came up at Beggars, I spoke to the person that was doing it at the time and she said, it's just, it's so broad. You never feel like you have two days that are the same. Um, and that was super interesting. And then once I stepped into the job and realised actually, you know, you're dealing with the world outside of the UK and the US and this was at a point where when people talked about international it was somewhere lower down than what sandwiches are we having at the meeting you know you really had to to shout for your space 
and you know and say actually you know i've got an artist doing a tv in france that will go out to however many million people yeah, yeah yeah okay well you know we're still trying to get you know this video on the box it's like no it's really important and you know and obviously now we've moved into a much more global world and people understand the impact of you know of something doing well in a non-english speaking territory but i mean it was yeah i i absolutely love working with with cultures that aren't necessarily my own um you know in the role that i'm in now at tunecore i represent um the uk australia and canada and i love the fact that i'm not just representing where i'm sat um i find it so interesting i think there's so much to learn there's so much to kind of take on board and i just think it, it makes you uh a more well-rounded person and it also allows you to kind of feed in what you learn into other places absolutely um what would you say are some of the key differences that you have experienced working at at beggars um at universal and we'll come on to tunecore more specifically but perhaps yeah absolutely um I mean, beggars for me, you know, it was interesting. I was there for 13 years and I spent my 20s there. So, you know, essentially I, you know, I felt like I grew up there. You know, my husband worked there, still works there. Um, so, you know, it, it very much kind of felt like a you you were going to work with your friends and your, you know, and people that you saw far more than any members of your family. And, you know, I think that came out of the nature of being a, a scrappy but successful indie um and then you know as as the company grew you know we all kind of grew with it and you know and the the culture was get involved do everything you know give it your everything you know and we did like everyone was just fingers in many many different pies and you know I I loved it I really loved it for the time that I was there um you know sadly they dissolved my department um in 2017 um and decided to move where the function of of international sat and that was it's probably one of the biggest wake-up calls I've ever had you know both personally and professionally was was you know business is not a family business is not personal um and it was a really bloody hard lesson to learn you know I had a daughter who was 18 months old my husband worked there you know all connections and all roads seemed to lead back there and somehow you had to start to extricate yourself and make this new persona um you know and I there was a lot of soul searching there was you know no one's going to want me I'm what what would I have been at the time 35 years old 36 years old not old not old at all but it felt old at the time Mm, yeah um but you know and I and I'd only ever really known that and oh my god what am I going to do and you know and it took a a real kind of like cerebral maneuver to be able to work out that you know all of those things that I was seeing as a negative could also be turned into a positive um and you know it's it's given me I don't want to say it's given me a layer of armor but it's certainly allowed me to see things more for what they are um you know and not to kind of romanticize situations and to you know to be aware that there has to be a dividing line between work and home how did that discovery shift when you went into your next role did you see your next role far more as like this is me and this is me at work yeah 
So, um, so from there, I had a, a short stint in management and then went into uh, to the orchard where um, I was working with artist services, which was, it was very exciting because it was having come from the very traditional model of beggars group to then move into um, to artist services, which still felt relatively new at that time. And you still very much had to explain to people what it was and why it existed. Um, so, you know, and there were so many kind of transferable learnings from from beggars over to that. But equally, it felt kind of one step further into the future as well. Um, you know, and it was that step towards kind of empowering artists to have more say in in what they did. Um, and, you know, culturally, for me, it was, you know, it was different. I was hired out of New York um so you know i was flown over there to interview and um it it felt you know it felt very much like um you know the role was the role was quite pivotal for them and it was very it, you know it was interesting to work with artists like bts which was just a whole other world of fandom um but you know equally i could take those learnings from having had that you know the positive and the negative experience at beggars put them into the orchard you know keeping in mind obviously the orchard was owned by sony as well so you had a much wider kind of infrastructure around you um and yeah i felt like i went into it far more with open eyes coming from an indie and going into the orchard which is obviously part of sony were there any really obvious differences between those companies given the nature of the artists that you were working with um, I think the nature of the artists was, yeah, it was a much wider span of genres that I was working at, at the, you know, at the orchard. So I'd be working with K-pop. I was working with, you know, country that came in from Nashville because um, there was a strong A&R presence there in Nashville. You know, you'd be working um, with bands that were kind of focusing a lot on, you know, regional kind of mainstream radio, you know, kind of like very video two bands and you know when I'd been at beggars it was very much about kind of you know a lot of it was about coolness and it's like right how cool is this act and are they right for Excel for rough trade for for whoever you know and it was it was a lot about you know integrity and and cool and fit whereas I think actually when I then moved to the orchard it was far less about fit it was far more about actually kind of you know obviously believing in the music but also running the economics on it and you know suddenly I, I would say with each of the steps that I've made you become much more aware of the kind of business proposition around music as well whereas I've you know probably started off as quite a wide-eyed relatively naive kind of you know oh good music will win through let's not talk about money because that's you know that's not a subject that we put with creativity and then the more I've moved through these positions you know the more obviously important you realize that you know there's got to be funding there's got to be income streams you know everything has got to make sense you know it's a business like any other so yeah I would say that kind of awakening and education has kind of run through the journey of my career I think. Would you say the business side and learning about the economics and the commercial side of things has that come to you relatively naturally? Is it something that you have an interest in or is it something that you had to learn regardless? I think I had to learn and I had to work at it as well. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm far more of a words person than a numbers person. And 
it's definitely something where I've had to kind of spend quite a lot of time educating myself, making myself feel comfortable and learning to be eloquent within areas of business, of P&L sheets, of running big budgets, all of that stuff. You know, it's that's not the side of things that turns me on, but it is the side of things that if you don't do properly, you're fucked. So I have had, to, I have really had to kind of write brain, we're doing this now, you know, to the, to the extent where I've done like online accountancy courses and stuff like that in order to make sure that I'm knowledgeable when I'm either answering an email about something, sat in a meeting with people where we're talking over budgets, this, that, and the other, you can't switch off to these areas because they're the areas that if they're not working, you don't have a business. Yeah, you have to be able to explain the numbers to people outside of your company as well. Exactly. All of those kind of accountancy, royalties, all of those areas that used to get called back end, which I think is a really quite patronising term. Um, we have to be eloquent and understanding in all of those areas now, especially as I've moved towards working in areas where you're kind of democratizing access to artists working on an open platform you need to be able to explain the revenue streams payouts uh streaming rates you know all of those kind of things and it's yeah. something that we're all faced with day to day it all comes down to the facts doesn't it without those the foundational numbers and the structures that you have in place for that business to flourish then all of the creative stuff isn't as important Exactly, because it won't exist. Yeah. So coming on to where you are at now, you work at TuneCore. Um, in a nutshell, for anybody who doesn't know what TuneCore is, we haven't talked about distribution on this podcast previously, so you are our first yeah. expert in this area. Um, let's, let's touch on the basics. What is distribution and how does it fit into the wider music industry? I've just got to say, how funny is that when someone calls you an expert and your inner brain voice goes, I'm not an expert. <gasps> Whack that away. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> 20 years in the business. Exactly. And you still do it. <laughs> so distribution, what is it? What is the model that we use? Um, so you um, say you and I make a track together and um you know we've we've done a bedroom recording and you know we really want to get it up on all the dsps so on spotify apple music amazon you know all of the many many global platforms you need a distributor to be able to do that if you're signed into um a kind of traditional label deal you know if you're with a sony or a beggars or someone like that their distribution will already be in place they'll either have their own distribution or they'll work through a third party but with uh with TuneCore we are one of the world's leading DIY distributors um and we are an open platform which means that you know the track that you and I have made Nikki can we can go on there we can pay our subscription fee to to basically release as much music as we want within the year you know we might just release this one track or we might decide that was really fun let's release 20 tracks in the next two months you know and it can go all the way from from a bedroom recording like that all the way up to we've had lauren spencer smith used the service very very successfully so fingers crossed got to number four in the charts in january of last year and um you know, and, and then went on to, she signed to Universal, which was a, a deal that Lucian put together himself. So, you know, within all this talk of, of 
DIY services creating flotsam and jetsam, it's, it can also be a very interesting uh, signing source for, for other labels. But, you know, equally, we've got very successful artists who, who stay on the platform because they, they use the platform for what it is, which is distribution. And they have a very strong team around them that fill in on all those uh, other areas like, you know, marketing, sync, um, you know, all of the other bits. And, you know, and I think that's one of the things with this model is that it can be so individualized to, to the position that you're in. You know, large percentage of what we do is releasing tracks to the DSPs, selling music of people that will never want to do this as a full time job. You know, they just want to record music and they want to get it out there. And, you know, it's very simple. You know, we also then have um, developing artists who are at the beginning of their careers. We've got catalogues that move over from you know, from big major label deals where they're not necessarily being worked. So, you know, put them onto TuneCore where you're paying, you know, one yearly fee and that music is still then up on the DSPs, but you're not giving away a percentage because 100% of the royalties go to you. There's so many models where, you know, of of artists that end up coming to TuneCore. It's, it's really interesting. I always read through the um, the uploads for the UK every day, you know, and quite often you'll see an artist that was maybe very successful in the 1980s or the 1990s, you know, they've had their time elsewhere and then they've moved their stuff over to us. You know, equally, we can also be used as a, a kind of jump off point for things that Believe want to work with, Believe are our parent company. So we had that over Christmas and the new year when we worked with Sugar Babes and they wanted to get something out quickly. And, you know, and being an open platform, we're, we're quite nimble. So, you know, we, we managed to get to ingestion to release in a few days and it allowed them to just get something out very quickly to kind of buy the time before they then um, take that next. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Step. Amazing. So under this um, annual subscription, what are the services that are offered to artists distributing their music on TuneCore? Um, so there's there's four different models. Um, we call it unlimited pricing because you pay one fee and it's unlimited for the year. Um, and it, that was the change we made from a pay per release model, which economically you know, didn't make sense in a world where you know everyone is encouraged to make as much um, music as possible. So you can actually release things for free with a social platforms account, and that just puts you into the library of the various social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, all of those. So you can kind of test your audience with that. We've got a new artist offering, which is $12.99, and that kind of gives you the, the basic distribution as you kind of go up the ladder to breakout artist, professional artist, you then get, you know, higher levels of uh, customer service, quicker turnaround. You get to use your own label name, set your own release dates, you know, all of those things. So it completely depends at what stage of your career and also what stage of releasing you're at as well. You know, we've got a really active um uh, artist partner relations team within the US as well and you know they do a lot in terms of education for artists master classes um, speaking to the DSPs very regularly so you know they end up they get people onto like Spotify campaigns you know equal and things like that so you know there's there's a lot of functions that kind of go on behind the scenes other than just the straightforward you know this is how we get your music to Spotify or the DSP of your choice it's a really interesting time to be working in something that gives such democratic access as well. You know, I always say to people, you're keeping 100% of your royalties, you're paying a subscription fee and then that's it. Have a think about actually with the, with the money that you've saved by not paying out on those royalties, you know, are there kind of extra services that you want to plug on and you want to find for yourself elsewhere that can then help to kind of raise your music out of you know the the enormous amount of music that is put on streaming services yeah that's incredible you're giving any type of artist indie or developed or catalog um the opportunity to continue to get that music out there exactly and you know and for instance we um we distribute cleo soul who if you don't know her you have to go and check her out because she's absolutely phenomenal um and you know she has an amazing setup where she has a team around her and a label around her that do absolutely everything incredibly well and they use us for distribution because that model fits them they're incredibly hot property but they you know for for the time being, touch wood, they stay with us because they actually don't need anything else. Quite self-sufficient in everything that they're able to do within their own building. And then we do just the one thing that we do for them. Yeah, got it. So describing your role now, you are head of, well, UK, Australia, Canada. Basically, I can always be awake. I can always be talking to someone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the thing. So speaking of like, you're in a leadership role, you're a mother, you're working with several different time zones around the world. How do you do it? it? 
you know there, there are days where I feel like there's a you know a million little mice running around my head just going <laughs> me first me first me first no me first. and you're like oh my god I don't know which one to get to first I I kind of feel like uh, you know I've always I just sounds bit wanky but you know I've, I have always worked best under pressure I was always the child that handed in their homework having done it on the bus you know I like things different comets to be flying at me at different times because that's how I work best and I've tried multiple times to change it it doesn't work so yeah I mean I think it's just trying to be as organized as you possibly can be realizing you're not gonna you're not gonna help everyone on the time frame that they want is a really big thing to to come to grips with because you know I think we're we all tend to be quite natural people pleasers and you know it's very difficult to say to someone that's actually going to take a little bit of time you know people people like to set unrealistic deadlines to to other people and sometimes you just have to say that's not going to work within that time frame I have this this and this that I need to focus on and and again we touched on earlier it's having the confidence in your own abilities and your own experience to be able to say things like that you know it's quite a vulnerable thing to say and knowing that there aren't going to be repercussions for it we're all adults and we all want to get the job done you know and this ties into things like remote working as well where I think giving people that ability to kind of set their own agenda on how their day looks and where their day is at the end of the day, everyone is doing this job because they want to. There's very few people that are in the music industry for, you know, for making millions of pounds because it's just not going to happen. So you've just got to be realistic about what you want to achieve in that day and then know that half of it will roll over to the next yeah. day. And manage, manage everyone around you. Exactly. You know, and I'm I'm managing myself I'm managing my family um you know I very sadly my mother passed away at the end of last year so I'm kind of managing my father despite the fact that he's you know incredibly self-sufficient and still works that you know there's a there's an emotional management that comes with that as well and actually I would say uh, you know I've I don't want to say I've done a lot of growing up within the last six months but I've definitely done a lot of kind of internal auditing if you like um and you know and becoming aware of the things that really matter and the things that don't and the things that you can put in the tomorrow pile and um yeah it's it's been an interesting time i've i've kind of changed quite a lot of ways that i do things um you know i've changed my kind of processes if you like you know i now i've given up drinking and i get up at six o'clock every morning because actually I have an hour to myself at the start of every day and I sit with a massive vat of coffee and I read my book. Yeah, and it's ridiculous. I'd be throwing up if you told me about this like two years ago. I'd be like, oh, piss off your wellness, silly person. <laughs> and um, actually for me and for where I am now, um, it's really worked and it's it's kind of grounded me enough to be able to deal with the many flying comets and I know that it's also made my work better because it's giving me a clearness of mind that is kind of it's cutting across every element of life yeah you have to find that time during the day for yourself and doing that first thing in the morning sets you up there's a brilliant podcast called the power hour I don't know if you've heard of it and it is exactly that concept having one hour in a day I'm gonna have to check that out yeah and you know and and the thing is once everyone's up 
And once your day starts, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. I think, you know, it's virtually impossible. You know, I've tried meditating. I mean, the number of years of the Calm app that I've paid for and haven't used is ridiculous. You know, and that's just asking you for 10 or 15 minutes. But the trouble is, once the kind of locomotive motion starts on your day, it's so hard to say, oh, right, I'm just going to take 15 minutes. It's really hard. So I'm like, right, this model works. Brilliant. And in terms of managing the different teams that you are across at TuneCore, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Like you must work with a number of different stakeholders from a number of different cultures. Yeah, so it's a lot of people management. It's interesting because I think having worked internationally so much before has really kind of helped me with this role because, for instance, my social media person is in Italy. So, you know, communication between the two of us has to be, you know, really good and our planning and and our kind of understanding of what our goals are. So, you know, I think it's making sure that you don't run away from communication, that you talk with people, you know, more. I know know, a lot of people like to just kind of disappear into emails, but I think actually having those conversations with people is really important. you know, be it on on Zoom or on calls or whatever, I think, because there's there's also a responsibility as a senior senior leadership person to to kind of pass on certain learnings and knowledge to people when you don't even realise you're doing it. And I think far more of that comes from having actual verbal conversations than it does on email. You're unlikely to drop a nugget of information at the end of an email just doesn't it's you know an email is functional you know and again I think this ties into the working from home working from the office balance as well with you know with with so many kind of younger people coming up through the industry they don't know what what they don't know they will only get that understanding of it by being around people that have been in the industry for longer and have, have had more have had more experience overhearing conversations tapping someone on the shoulder and asking about something I mean, personally, I don't think it would ever be a good idea to go fully remote because I think it's a it's a recipe for disaster, both in terms of mental health and in terms of developing and bringing people on. We are social animals. We need to be around other people that have similar passions and and you know direction to ourselves definitely and it's having that social connection with your colleagues that you like you build a relationship kind of you know what you were saying at the beginning which was like beggars was being your family but it's actually finding a balance between like your colleagues being like those solid people who have your back and they know you as a human as well as the professional you who was there to do the job yeah 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 Exactly. And I think, you know, that is, it's just, it's so important. And, you know, it's, it's easy to think, oh, do you know what, I'd really like to work at home five days a week, because then you take out the commute, and you take out the expense of it, and this, that, and the other. But actually, it's giving you so much by being in an office, but, you know, equally, having that balance, you know, when, when I had my daughter in 2015, you know, working remotely just it wasn't an option and now I just think it's it's so good that we can openly have these conversations and you know and not have to be apologists about it and I think it allows people to step towards the balance of being able to be parents and professionals as well it's you know it's definitely given a freedom that wasn't afforded you know when I had my daughter and you know my daughter is now seven she's in school and you know and the balance that I can have where you know I know that I can leave my desk at a certain time to go and pick her up from school or you know not not have to 
pretend like I have two completely separate lives. Do you think that working across different time zones actually helps that? Yeah, I think it does because, you know, inevitably you end up doing things very early or very late. And it's another thing that I've become very comfortable with recently is just saying, you know what, actually work is work, life is life. I've worked over the weekend, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a day in loop. And, you know, and I've got to the point where I'm confident enough to say that. And I'm also supported in a company that encourages that because, you know, they don't want the mental health burnout that comes with working seven days a week, you know, and there is a genuine care for the employees there. So, but, you know, I'm 41 and it's taken me to get to this stage to go, oh, well, you know, I've, I've worked over the weekend, but I'll just plough on. No, don't take that rest you need it you're not going to be any good to anyone as a parent or a professional you have to back yourself don't you and also know how you operate you do and it can take time to do that or it just takes some kind of life lessons you've obviously had during the last couple of months but then also between jobs and various times in your career absolutely and I think you know like you said backing yourself being confident in your own abilities and your own reasons for doing something and not being scared to say that yeah People really respect you. And actually that feeds into my yeah. next question, which is, you know, what does leadership look like? And I think what you've been touching on there is, you know, you're setting an example for how to be in a place of work. Exactly. You know, I mean, I've had I've had myriad boss, bosses where, you know, some which have been kind of people that have worked from 5am until midnight and, and never stopped and never seen their families and always tried to be everything to everyone and actually ended up being not much to everyone because you just can't be, you're not looking after yourself. I think I've seen enough bad modelling to know the things that I should and shouldn't be doing, you know, and there's a certain amount that comes with with experience and with age and confidence. But, you know, I also think we're in a time now where, you know, we we can actually learn a lot more from the younger generation who are saying, you know what, this is work, this is not work, this is what I need to look after myself. You know, the these are my parameters, and you know, it, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? Because we're we're in a time where we're you know we're going through all these tech redundancies and and now Warner's redundancies today, and you know who's to say who will be next? But equally. In amongst that, I still think you can have your boundaries and you can say, right, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm not willing to do, you know, both as an employee and as a leader as well. And I think modelling a healthy way of being as a leader is very important, as is kind of getting to know your employees and not not expecting a one size fits all kind of approach. And that's something that I've always found with management is, you know, manage people in the way that they respond to best rather than trying to make them fit into your model. That is really, really good advice. Yes. Don't force someone to be the way that you want them to be just because that's your that's your way of being. Yeah. You have to like respect how they're going to grow. Exactly. Respect how they're going to grow. And also, I mean, we had a really interesting we do. um believe the parent company do these um lunchtime learnings kind of every month or so and today we had an academic come in and talk about neurodiversity within the creative industry particularly within the music space and um and it was super interesting when it came to talking about you know managing people and you know and the flexibility that you kind of need to afford with your approach to managing anyone that 
doesn't identify as neurotypical. It was very interesting because you realise now people aren't trying to make themselves fit into a model that they're not. And by having that confidence to be able to talk about things and to be able to say, actually, this is what I need to be able to do my job properly. I actually feel like as leaders, we're also learning a lot, you know, because we're having to adapt models that we previously used or knew. Um, so I actually, you know, I love the fact that you can talk so openly about things now. And, you know, that's one of the things credit to Universal. You know, they've been incredible on um, the neurodivergent side of things because, you know, they they have a whole handbook around it and they will ask people the kind of the interview setup that makes them feel most comfortable if they want the questions in advance. You know, all of these things in order to not just be hiring from one tiny pool of people. That's brilliant. I didn't know that they offered different types of you know ways to be interviewed. Yeah, it's really it's quite inspirational, actually. And I think it's something that is trickling down into the rest of the industry. Yeah. Touching on um, ways that the industry can improve or like how it's shifting, we've mentioned, you know, you have a seven year old daughter. What would you like to see changed in the way of supporting women who are mothers, not just, you know, through maternity, but actually, you know, that's one that's the beginning then you have to, you know, exactly. develop and bring yeah. up your child. And that takes time and balance between work and home. Yeah. What would you like to see that improve? There's so much. I mean, this could almost be a, a whole other podcast on itself. You know, you've got you've got talks around finances, you know, and kudos to Sony who have brought in their childcare policy because that's inspiration. And, you know, you've got uh, kind of time support issues. You've got mental health, physical well-being issues. There is so much. And, you know, I will say I was I was one of those people who was absolutely terrified to tell the company that I was pregnant because there wasn't a model for me to follow. And, you know, it the whole thing wasn't handled brilliantly. And I'd like to think now, you know, what are we, seven, eight years on, you know, companies are now having the conversation. You know, they are realising that actually, it, like you say, maternity policy is one thing. And, you know, let's hope that everyone's got their ducks in a row a bit more than they had then. But it's that time that comes afterwards. You know, it's it's having your child in nursery where, you know, you're going to be paying the equivalent of another mortgage. And yet you're still kind of looking at your watch going, oh, my God, it's five o'clock and I've got to I've got to leave now and, you know, and go and pick up my child from nursery. But they want me to do a call with L.A. and they can only do it now. And, 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 women, you know, and men need to be given the flexibility to run their own professional lives and you know one of the benefits of covid obviously with more flexible working is that it has definitely made it easier for for parents particularly new parents to be able to do that because you know you can change your location you can change your times when you do things and you know all of this goes back to everyone being adults no parent wants to be treated like a child by their employer and we're all going to get the job done and the employer needs to know that there are going to be times where, you know, you suddenly need to leave, take time off because your, you know, your child is sick, which happens so much in the early days of nursery. 
you know, and they need to know that you're adult enough that you're going to get the job done or you're going to be able to say to someone, right, can you just cover that for me? Can no longer have that vacuum in the in the seniority levels where women get to 35 and then just, you know, it's like they drop through a hole, like some stranger things kind of alternate dimension and never get seen again. You know, and I've got to the position that I'm in by, you know, quite often hanging on with a fingernail. And, I, you know, I don't want people to have to go through that kind of struggle. You know, I want it to be easier. We've all had mothers and that, you know, that needs to be respected, that it's a really fucking important job. But it can be done alongside another really fucking important job. Yeah. It's also kind of bringing in that leadership, isn't it? And communicating with the rest of your team, whereby it be like other people in, in the senior leadership department or um, people kind of across the, the company who you're working with, like really being clear, like, this is this is my structure. This is what works for me. This is when I'm available. Um, I may have, you know, to go and take care of some things with my with my daughter at points. But, you know, you can rely on me that I will get the job done. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing, I think sometimes because it's, you know, I think especially because music is kind of seen as a a fun industry, there are, you know, I've definitely seen instances where people are kind of slightly infantilized within it because, you know, sometimes it can look like you're having a laugh and you're, you know, and you're working with something that's, you know, fun and stimulating and emotional. And, and, you know, I think you have to realize that everyone has got the kind of same constraints within their life and they are getting on with their job and they're doing it and life professional life needs to have that flexibility around it I mean one of the things that I really like at Junecore is there's a hell of a lot of women in senior positions you know and it's it's really great to see that you know a lot of which are mothers as well it's awesome. We're going to have to bring you back on the podcast to expand upon this. Um, but I know that we're running out of time. So. <laughs> I know. And I just I am I am prone to verbal diarrhea. So some questions that we ask all of our guests. What is your go to record? Is it something from the beggars catalogue? <laughs> That's a really big question. What is my go to record? It's actually Scary Monsters by David Bowie. So I just, I love that record, particularly because I bought it on vinyl when I was a teenager and it just, it feels nostalgic, but it still feels as modern as ever when you put it on. My daughter was cringing the other day because I was walking along the street singing fashion at her, trying to understand what an amazing song it is. She's like, oh, mum, stop it. It's so embarrassing. And that the whole body of work is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm just the most enormous David Bowie fan anyway. But I yeah, I would say that's probably my go-to. Awesome. And for anyone who is listening, who is interested in a career in I've said distribution here but actually in marketing or even someone who perhaps is on their way up and considering having a family uh, what advice would you give them there was like three different questions take your pick to which one you would like to answer uh, I would say research and by that I don't mean sitting on Google Google obviously is your friend as well but go and talk to people that are, you know, maybe a year or two ahead of you 
and ask them what they do you know ask them how the hell they manage the crazy world of having a baby and working and you know and doing that and because sometimes people are going to have really innovative ways of dealing with things that you would never think about i mean my husband and i were were lucky enough that we could each take alternate fridays off when uh, my daughter nina was uh, before she went to school and and those Fridays where you could see her you just had this one-to-one time with her and you could just see her kind of develop week on week and that was precious and you know you will never get that time back again so you know I would say if you are able to be in a position where you're lucky enough to take some time as well within the the structure of having gone back to work do it because that time will disappear and before you know it they'll be packing their bags and going to university and, you know, and equally, I would say, don't, you know, don't be scared to talk to your employer. You know, it is, it is scary. I'm not going to lie about that. It's, I think it's getting less scary and it's getting more normalised, which seems ridiculous to even say that. But yeah, I, just find out what the options are. That was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Sarah. So inspirational. It was, oh, it's, it's lovely to have the chance to, to gab away. <laughs> well, you're just going to have to come back. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mellow Compass podcast, Sarah. Um, and thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, subscribe and leave us a review. We really love hearing about how the podcast has helped navigate your careers. This podcast is produced by Rosie Bennett. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.